2: little disclaimer up front, um, Ollie's audio got corrupted, it was pretty much completely unlistenable, so he recorded pretty much all of it uh, again uh, after the fact, and then I've edited it back in. Um, it's a lot more listenable now, but the flow of the episode might not quite be as good as it um, used to on the uh, rest roundtable, or maybe it will, uh, and I've just drawn attention to it for no reason. Um, hopefully you barely even notice it, um, but if you do, then that's the reason. Uh, always nice to get that excuse out the way up front. Um As such, that also caught a bit of a delay on the episode coming out, obviously. So, some of the things we say may not quite line up time-wise um, with when the episode is released, because it was recorded late last week. For example, we didn't mention the four-way tag match for RPW Summer Sizzler, um, because at the time of recording, it hadn't been announced. Um, but it's kind of a skippable nothing match anyway, so no huge loss there. Um, yeah, I'll hand over to I think, Ollie's intro to this episode. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Brickverse Roundtable. I am Ollie Court. Uh, I'm being forced to do the intro for the very first time because I haven't done it before. <laughs> uh, along with me is Arm Furious. Hello. And Robin Reed. Hello. And on this episode, we'll be talking about uh, Progress, Chapter Thirty One and Thirty Two, uh, where lots of stuff went down. And we're also going to be talking about Rev Pro Summer Sizzler, which is only happening in a few days now. Uh, It's kind of snuck up on us a bit, but that is very exciting.
3: Uh, Should we just say chapter 32 is going on last in our our chat today, so if anyone wants to avoid spoilers for that one, it's last.
2: Unfortunately I won't be able to, uh, because at the time of recording it hasn't dropped yet.
3: So we're going to spoil the whole thing for Rob.
1: Uh, so yeah, RevPro are running their third York show of the year, um, and they're going to be running one next month as well. So this is going to be the second in a trio of shows over the summer. They did one uh, last month, we're going to do one in July, and also Uprising has been moved forward to August now.
3: It's all clustered together. Uh, well, before we get into wait, I have a theory as to why all these shows are clustered so close together. And I assume uh, it's because Zack Sabre Jr. is going to be in Orlando uh, from like the middle of September. So normally you have Uprising uh, drop in October. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not going to be possible if he's still champion, which if he gets by uh, Shibata, he will still be the champion come Uprising. And that is presumably where they want to do Sabre and Skull which they've been building up to for, well, all year, really. It's like six months. Um, So by moving that uprising forward and getting these shows all really clustered close together, uh, that's the way they can tell the story and finish it. Otherwise, I I don't think that's going to be possible. So that's probably why we've got so many close together. You you agree with my take there, do you? Yeah,
2: I mean, there's obviously the... There's a lot of conflicting reports about Sabre Jr. at the moment. Is he actually going to still be here by the end of October? It's actually looking more likely now than it was earlier in the year, surprisingly. Um, There's been a lot of reports that all conflict each other from reliable sources, which
3: um, it might just be smoke and mirrors. It might just be a case of them not wanting to give away that he's going, but he has kind of stopped taking bookings, so... It's very hard to. But um, he might just be waiting to see how the, the Chris White Classic plays out and how the tapings go down there. Um, but I, I would assume there's a contract with him and it's up to him whether he wants to take it. But if he does want to take it, then Andy Corden's got to change the belt. And he can't wait until October to do that if Sabre's not going to be available. So that to me, that makes sense and putting a show in August when he can still finish his angle off. That makes sense to me, as to why it's there.
2: Yeah. Um, Do you think we're going to see a fifth York Hall show uh, this year, since, well, from high stakes usually ends up in either January or February, and having a gap between August and and February would be a pretty big one. Um, I, I was thinking perhaps we might, see Global Wars UK become a York, York Hall show this year. Um, so, like, last year, that, that show was a, a part of a doubleheader with Uprighting, um, uh, with all the New Japan guys coming in. The the timing of this York Hall show means you're almost certainly not going to get...
3: Well, you're not going to get any New Japan guys, because that's, that's the three days before the end of the G1. In fact, they have a show that day, do <laughs>
2: When when's the Super J? Have we got dates for that yet? Uh
1: the finals August 21st.
2: So it's maybe feasible we could they could be Kushida? maybe but probably not.
1: <sighs> um Yeah, I would doubt it.
3: It's it's more likely that they want to do another show with with New Japan guys that it would be later in the yes, year. Yes.
2: Yes, I was thinking it would be the, the same spot it was in last year. Probably take the Global Wars UK name. Um but have it in your call this time, since you're bumping uprising earlier in the year.
3: Yeah, that would that would kind of make sense. I mean, the 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 Kurt Angle one was always uh, like a bonus mm-hmm. your call show. Um, so you could, in theory, say that uprising kind of a bonus that it's early, and then you get another one.
2: Well, bonus is one word for it, but uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, the the big show is, is Summer Sizzler. It's It's uh, upon us. Um, Shall we run down that card? Let's take a look. Um, We've got uh, Shah Samuels up against Moose. Is Moose still in Ring of Honor, or is he going as well?
1: (laughs) Uh, I think he's probably on the way out. He's disassociating himself, let's say.
2: I think he had his last match um, over the Best in the World weekend, so I think he has just finished, yeah. That's what um, the Observer was reporting anyway.
3: Uh, of course, he's he's kind of was WWE bound. He was backstage at, uh, I, would, I want to say TakeOver, the last TakeOver. Um, but whether he's actually going to go, I'm not so sure, because he's been a bit
2: of a dick. Ha- has a, a domestic abuse in his past, um, domestic abuse issue. Not in, I, I don't know the details or anything, but... Uh... Uh, and obviously, with the current Jerry Lawler situation, they're they're looking to avoid anything to do with that temporarily, at least.
3: Uh, well, Jerry's actually been cleared yes. today. Yes. Like as as we're recording, he's been cleared. So,
2: so that may um free Moose up to get signed because uh, I think that the general feel is it was like a, a temporary. We can't hire you at the moment because it'd be bad for PR, but we will hire you soon. Um, so yeah, we. Uh, The general assumption is he's on his way to NXT. Uh, It just might be like a... He might be taking the scenic route.
3: (laughs) And that involves your call. Mm -hmm. Do you think Shah Samuels is a good opponent for him?
2: Um, I think it's like a a big opportunity for Shah because he's been thoroughly unimpressive for the last year while he's been saddled with James Castle. Um, And He's, like, the one of the only guys who's actually been on every single York Hall show, and recently he hasn't particularly deserved it. Um, so I think he, he needs a good showing here. Um,
1: yeah, Samuels has kind of been uh, unimpressive in the tag team with James Castle, um, and he's kind of been uh, wasted a little bit in that tag team. He hasn't really shown up at these York Hall shows where you need to show up. Um, but he matches up pretty well against Moose. And he's uh more much more experienced than Moose as well, so he'll really have to step up and be the leader of this match, um, for it to be any good.
3: I, I just went and took a look at the Moose thing. Uh, it was for, uh, domestic battery. He was charged after throwing his wife down a flight of stairs. Mm. Uh, considering he's like six five, three hundred pounds, that's a little alarming. Mm-hmm. So you can see why they got uh, perhaps cold feet on him uh, finding out that that had happened. He used to be in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of public knowledge
1: already. Mm. He was really bad in the NFL as well. <laughs> um, he played for <laughs> my team for a season and yeah, he was awful.
3: <laughs> uh, I no longer have a team. The Houston Oilers do not exist anymore. Uh, oh, we're getting sidetracked a bit there. Um, so, yeah, it, it it should be a match. Yeah. Um, I think Moose needs to put in a good show in just to kind of prove that he's worth all the, the fuss and all the hassle. Um, before we get any further derailed, should we move on to uh, uh, Marty Scull versus Mike Bailey? It's uh, another chance for for Speedball, who impressed um, against Will Ospreay I had a very good match. And he's had a couple of decent matches for the TV tapings, uh, if they ever get aired. Um He's not going to win this one, though,
1: is he? <laughs> uh, it doesn't look like it, no. Um, Mike Bailey, he's been appearing for RevPro quite a few times recently. He can't work in America for now because of his uh, visa issues. Um, so RevPro's almost become a second home for him, and it's pretty interesting to see when they'll start giving him wins as like a properly pushed guy. But it's probably not going to be here because Marty Scurll, um, they're grooming him for potentially a title challenge uprising against Zack Sabre Jr., so... This will probably be another win for him.
3: Well, if if they don't, sorry, if they don't do it at Rising, then when's it going to happen? So yeah, it seems that way. Um, presumably, something's going to happen on this show. Presumably, it's going to be um, during the the uh, the British Championship match. You would think um, to really put an emphasis on uh, on on skills, whole involvement. So I can see him beating Bailey and then, you know, moving on to a bigger angle um, after the main event.
2: Yeah. We kind of mentioned um, recently that Bailey at this point, he's almost become a regular and he does need to start picking up wins at some point, but I don't think this is the right point for it to happen.
3: I've heard nothing about the appeal um, for his uh, ban over visa issues. So, there's every chance that it's going to be five years that he can't wrestle in the states, so they they could have a yeah long-term program there to to sort something out. Uh, it should be a good match though, uh, Skill and Bailey, um, both very talented guys. Um, it could possibly be eclipsed by some of the other matches on the on the show. Specifically, I'm thinking about the cruiserweight uh, championship match, uh, champion Pete Dunne. Defending against uh, now global superstar Will Ospreay. Uh, can you see Ospreay winning this?
2: Um,
3: maybe. I mean, it seems unlikely, but it would also keep them kind of away from the the, the championship picture for a while.
2: It, it's one of the few matches on the card that's, that, that feels up in the air. Um, well, maybe that's a bit harsh, but um, it's... It's not clear-cut either way,
3: definitely. I'd say Pete dunn has been champion six months, done a very good job. He's improving uh, at a quite drastic rate. I certainly think he's on the, the same level as those very top guys, but um, he's certainly getting there. Um, he hasn't... A win over Osprey would, would do his uh, stock an awful lot of good. Mm,
2: definitely. Um he hasn't really had a big breakout match in RPW. He's he's been putting good work in pretty much every match he's been in, but he's yet to really have that defining match of his run. And th- this match definitely felt feels like it's been being built up to potentially be that, even if it is where he loses the title.
1: So uh, yeah, Pete Dunne versus Will Ospreay, This match has a bit more juice to it because Pete Dunne just been announced for Bowler this year. Yes. Uh, so that makes this one a lot more interesting.
3: I was getting excited when the um, last year when they named those uh, like the well, how many how many European guys were in it last year? Uh, it was like,
2: what four? Galloway, four, Andrews, Osprey, Saber Junior, and skirl So that's five. Tommy End.
3: And then yeah, six. six. So there was a big European representation uh, last year. So for them to come out and like uh, I. I can't remember what order it was in, but it was. Uh, Haskins, Dunn, Haskins, Gallagher. And, and Gallagher, Jack Gallagher was. And was um, in as well. Entrance 12. He? Yeah.
2: Four already, and there's still eight more to go.
3: Yeah, so that was exciting.
1: Yeah, it's great to see the um, second level of guys getting a shot now um, on the international stage. Well, Jack Gallagher's in the Cruiserweight Classic, but. Um, Ola's kind of a different beast. Uh, Mark Haskins has been to Dragon Gate before. He's been to TNA, but um, like that was in like a past life for him almost. This is like a new shot for him. Even though
3: Haskins was in TNA, but. Um... The, the, the difference between that Mark Haskins and this one is is quite significant. Mm-hmm. Much like uh, Pete Dunn has improved uh, dramatically over the past couple of years, uh, Haskins is, is pretty much a different guy. He's got a different
1: style. Yeah, and uh, Pete Dunne went to King of Trios last year, but this is a step up for him as mm. well.
3: Yeah, good news for all all three guys. Good exposure for them.
1: Yeah, and it's a different set of guys this time. So no Osprey, no Saber Junior. End is back, but it's like that second level, second wave of guys coming into BOLA this year.
3: Yeah, kind of. It shows the depth that we got, which is cool.
1: Thinking about the actual match here, Will Osprey versus Pete Dunn, and Will Osprey at Summer Sizzler is absolutely fantastic. He has a string of two great matches here over the past two years. Um, like, he really broke out against, uh, 2 Unlimited, and he was teaming with Mr. Moonsault, and with those guys of all people, he had such a great match. It was, like, the match of the night on that loaded show. And in 2015, uh, he had probably the best match of his career so far against Matt Seidel in the 2 Out of 3 Falls. I was there live for that one in the front row, and that's probably the best match I've ever seen live. It was so good and really showed Osprey was like a top tier wrestler now, and he's only gone from there so far this year.
3: I think I probably had that as like his best match, until the first Kushida one, the the selling of the arm and the the, the no hand handspring that made sense as part of the match. It just that, that for me was was blow away stuff. Although the uh, the match that he had with Matt Seidel was was really really good, like terrific stuff. Um, speaking of Matt Seydal, uh he's also in action on this card. Uh, he's wrestling against Big Damo, which is a weird matchup. Yeah, you got a, a um... like a small guy who does a lot of flips against a, a big guy who doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's a real contrast.
2: Yeah, at one point. Um, if you, if you, I can't remember which one of the smaller shows it was for Rev Pro, but, um, they, they, Matt Seidal challenged both Pete Dunne and Will Ospreay to a triple threat for the title, um, the Cruiserweight title, and it was accepted, so I assumed that was gonna be the match here. Um, that obviously hasn't happened, uh, it's ended up as a, a singles match, and it feels like Seidal is kind of, um, kind of was the odd man out, but he was still booked, and they went, ah, we'll we'll put him against Damo. Damo needs an opponent. Um, maybe one of Damo's, probably not last, since we we've having um, the York Hall shows so close together. But but one of his last uh, York Hall um, appearances, likely.
3: Yeah, and and he I think is a lot more cut and dry than uh, than Saber is uh because again i'm i'm hearing he's not taking any bookings after uh like the end of august and championships that he that he currently uh, holds are to be kind of taken off him by then those wheels are in motion yeah cuz so it does seem very much like he's he's done
2: i was um uh, how shall i put this i was reliably informed uh, in i think mid april Um, that Damo was actually going to be in the G1 um, by, you know, someone who should know. Um, (laughs) And obviously that hasn't happened. Uh, I I get the impression that, like, he was scheduled for the G1 and then WWE came calling and and they said, we want to sign you at this point for then. And he went, okay, uh, WWE rather than New Japan it is. It'd be interesting to see... Which is, It's a
3: nice choice to have. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not a lot of wrestlers get that.
2: Um, and uh, may, maybe the, the surprise Noah um, participants in the G1. I, I, I do get the feeling that they were in part um, not last-minute replacements, but uh, weren't necessarily planned long-term. Um, both Damo and Strong at at one point, I was more sure on Demo because I um I got that more reliably. But uh, uh, Demo and Strong were lined up for the G One at one point, and then obviously weren't. Uh, but yeah, we're getting a bit. I'm getting a bit sidetracked there. Um, they they have built up a a Demo Elgin match at at some point. Um. Uh, yeah, I get the impression that's not going to happen either because Elgin's in the G one. So, so maybe I, I feel like this match might have at one point been scheduled to be Elgin versus Daimo and Matt Sydal in a freeway with Osprey and Dunn. But then once Daimo there was there there stopped being any point setting up things with Daimo and Elgin since Daimo wasn't going to be in New Japan anymore. So they didn't bring over Elgin, I guess that, and then move side that lacrosse. That that makes sense in my mind. Uh, I may have just made up a complete narrative for myself, but that, that makes sense in my mind.
1: I think I actually prefer the way the card has turned out to um, Elgin Demo and then the Cruiserweight Freeway. I think I actually prefer the two singles matches. Um, I think Osprey Dunn has a chance to beat like, a really high-level contest, and... This matchup it may be a bit different uh, to what we usually see from Demo, but I think what he showed against Mike Bailey, he can make that um, big man little man dynamic work really well. And I mean, Matt Sydal is fantastic, so I think this should be a really good match, and I'm probably looking forward to it more than I was Elgin Demo actually.
2: I, I actually prefer Demo against smaller guys. Um... We've kind of discussed this several times in the past, but he never seems to to quite work as as stiff as you'd want when he's in there against larger guys. Um, You really want a real hard-hitting action in a Hoss fight, and he he just seems too nice for that, but uh, he's got the cleanness of work that makes his matches against smaller opponents really enjoyable, usually. Uh, And speaking of stiff, Tomohiro Ishii.
1: Ah. Yes, Tomohiro Ishii versus Josh Bodum. This is probably my most anticipated match on my card, because Josh Bodem is so good at being a prick, and Tomohiro Ishii is a prick killer. So, <laughs> he is going to absolutely destroy Josh Bodum here. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh Bodum knows how to rile up an opponent, so um, we talked a bit about last year, how Damo was maybe a bit too nice to Ishii, and like they didn't really uh, like understand that they really wanted to lever each other, or they didn't communicate that well enough. I think Josh Bodham knows how to communicate with someone, even if he can't speak their language, but he wants um to get into a real war with Ishii here. And unlike the Chris Hero match where we found like I found it a bit unrealistic that uh could go like blow for blow with Chris Hero in like a strike exchange or like knock him out with a rolling elbow. Here is a bit of a smaller big guy. So he's a better opponent for Josh Bodham in terms of making the match look realistic. But I still think Ishii's going to absolutely destroy Bodum. And I think Bodum will be up for a bit of a war and like a stiff fight here. Um, And I, it should be an absolute joy to watch because Ishii is going to drill Josh Bodum's head through the canvas and it's going to be so good.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd like any uh, match where Ishii is likely to uh, completely fuck someone up and that's likely to happen in this one. Uh, hopefully um, he'll be told like pre-match, don't don't take it easy, you know, just go in there and, and leather leather this kid. He, he's asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be would be perfect.
1: Yeah, and you know Josh Bodham is gonna be up for like a war. Like you saw in his matches against Jimmy Havoc, that he is a bit of a crazy guy, and he's willing to like put his body in the line. So he'll be up for this one. Definitely one
2: I'm looking forward to. Um, probably the third most anticipated match on this card. Um, pretty stacked card. So this uh, that sa- sounds worse than it is. But uh, behind Osprey and Dunn and Shibata Saber Junior, this this is definitely up there at least.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a stacked card, isn't
1: it?
2: You
3: you can always
1: rely on a your call show. I think uh, Josh Bodem's mother should look away for this one. Mm.
2: Yeah um me and Ollie were like we we were right behind um the Bodum family for the hero match and and his mum was just cringing at every single elbow. Uh if she's there for this one as well then uh yeah look look away might be advisable.
3: Yeah, it's probably for the best. If I was if I was Josh I would not take his mum to watch <laughs> uh, a match against Ishii, or Hero for that matter. I possibly not what uh, what you want to put your your mother through. Um yeah, so main event for this show, Zack Saber Jr. defending his British championship against Katsuyori Shibata. Oh, when they named this match, I was just uh words fail me. It's ah it, uh, and it being for the title as well. I mean, I know we're looking at Saber and Skull being probably main evented up rising so they're not likely to change the belt but what
2: if they did well apparently this andy andy has said he's got um got potential future booking options for if he does win obviously that's a, a very kayfabe way of putting it but uh, it it's at least planting that seed in your mind because I I really like the way they didn't announce it as a title match immediately and then he waited a bit as if it was, like, as if it was real. Um, mm, as if it but was, they had to get we permission. can't do a title match in case he wins because we might not be able to have him back. Oh, I've nah. secured I've secured further dates. Fully yeah. knowing that, you know, he, he could just have Zach win. Well, maybe he could have just have Zach win if New Japan are willing to let that happen. Uh, have have a Noah Jr. beat, beat their uh, never champion. Uh, but... Well, Think,
3: look at it like this Shibata. He's gonna get a big push, it might not be right now, but he's a guy that, that New Japan have as one of their you know bubbling under uh, heavyweights. He, here's, here's what could happen Shibata could beat Saber Jr. and win the title. Then you've got Marty Skull, who has said all along. Like, I won't challenge for the title while Sabre has the belt. He gets pissed off that he had this title shot and Sabre's lost, that he goes and challenges Sabre anyway, and that is your main event for the uh, Uprising show, with no title on the line. Because obviously Shibata, if he wins, will not be on that show because he'll be in the G1.
2: Then who beats Shabata? Shibata. I guess is the question there. I don't know. <laughs> because uh, the way I thought you were going with that one would, would be to say that Skull would be the guy to beat uh, Shibata. But I think, I just, for some reason, well, that I just don't think necessarily. that
3: could happen. Um, I mean, the storyline is a f- is like Sabre against Skull. That doesn't necessarily need the belt. And Skull's won the belt before anyway. It's not like he needs to be champion here. It's not something he's aiming to prove. Because he was champion for ages, he's already done that. Um, So uh, for me, that would be a more interesting angle. If if it comes down to Saber retains because of Skrull, and then they have a match, you know, I'd be fine with that as well. It, but I, I can only see them running Saber Junior versus Skrull at Uprising. There's no other place to do it. So that's another way of getting there.
2: So
3: but however it plays out we're 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 looking good
2: so what's the logic of um what was your logic of skull getting annoyed with saber junior uh,
3: that he'd held off on like not um cashing in his his title match against uh saber junior and then saber loses clean to shibata then he'd be pissed that he didn't you know cheat right because the, the whole way the whole way through their their team as it were cuz they had a, a like a tag team match uh like that was in Reading, wasn't F-ing it counter, yeah. they have the, they have the tag match and like the whole way through marty's cheating and going like you need to cheat this is how you you do it i think he'd be upset if saber lost without cheating
2: right that that make, that makes and sense that could,
3: that could be their angle where... but however they go that they've got options
2: there's options either way and that that's that's so nice to see in a big main event match where both options are viable, especially when it has like a an international fly in in a title match, you 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 almost usually assume that um, a title change isn't possible. Um, but uh, this is one of the the few exceptions there. Uh, it could go either way, they, and I'm they, really is, looking forward to it.
3: There is precedent for it though, because they did put AJ Styles uh, over when we weren't. Exactly expecting it. And AJ had a pretty good run. So I could see Shibata winning, is what I'm saying, based on previous booking and the way the cards fall, because they could still have a main event and they've already got another big match lined up for for Uprising. They could do that without necessarily needing the belt. Yeah, my only... And... If if Osprey wins the cruiserweight championship, you could have a big match against I, I don't even know who, but like you could have a big match with Osprey as champion. Uh, no, you can't because he's resting exactly. Vader. My <laughs> bad. I don't think he's quite a cruiserweight. <laughs> oh, okay, um,
2: on. I mean, Vader may be a little over 205. Well, you know, Martin Stone dropped a load <laughs> of weight. It's uh...
3: <laughs> so to be fair, last time I saw Vader, he was he was probably about like three twenty, so I think that's
2: unlikely. Cut himself in half. Um, yeah, the only the only question would be, how do you then get the title off Shibata? Um Like, who on the Red Pro roster uh, would they want? One of their juniors going over. There is uh, Bobby Fish maybe.
1: beating Ishii. That sets a precedent. Maybe. Yeah, but
2: Ishi, she, Ishi's got that different feel to Shibata. Like.
1: Yeah, she can take a loss, and Shibartha really can't, he's never champion. He's potentially getting a push.
2: It would depend. I I would guess he's
3: probably thought through all yeah, these angles yeah. before booking the match as a title match. But um, yeah, I'm just interested it's to see how it goes. It's That's gonna about. be a good match.
2: And then, like, even even if there wasn't all this, where do they go from here? Intrigue. Just the match itself. It, it's it's exciting, and I'm not even close to the, the highest person on the Zack Saber Jr. at the moment.
3: Yeah. I like I'm really high on both guys. Uh Shibata is um probably the, the best guy they hadn't brought over. I think the only other person that they, they had uh that could have been as big would have been Ibushi, who obviously isn't there anymore. Um so yeah it's it's really exciting to see uh a card with Shibata and Ishii on it. It shows how uh, the market has changed. This this is very much a, a, a card driven by internet fans. Mm. Uh, would you also say that's the case for uh, Uprising?
2: Uh, kind of a different brand of internet fans. Yeah, so Uprising, what you would assume would be the main event, or at least the, the, the match that they've promoted for it so far and is on all the posters they've put out so far. Uh, yeah, they've, they've gone and booked Will Ospreay versus Vader, um, this is the uh, Twitter
1: version of Okada vs. Tenryu. <laughs> I, uh, I, I
2: it's, it's better
3: than fighting over Shampoo. I don't want
2: to see this match.
3: but I do, I, You know what I do? I, I'm really intrigued to see what happens. Um, Vader hasn't had a good match in a very very long time it'll be interesting to see just just what happens from like a like a what match they put together perspective for will it's a chance to do uh something that he is has not to date done uh, not to date achieved and that's gone in with somebody who's like a respected legend from the previous generation and do something different um what he's done so far is is just work, uh, guys that he's really familiar with and guys in Japan who are of the same sort of age or the same sort of generation. It's a chance for him to, to, to show that he has all the storytelling ability that uh, people are criticising him for not having. Um, and there is a story to be had there. I mean, it's, uh, Vader is going to come in not respecting him because of uh, perceived weakness. and all the flips and everything and you know he's going to bring a style that uh that osprey is more than capable of selling for um it's going to be an interesting match it might not be a good match but it's going to be an interesting match
2: you say osprey hasn't been in there with any legends before he has been in there with liger so
3: <laughs> i had slipped slip my mind <laughs> But that's um, again, that's, that's a different match. Yeah. I mean, Liger is incredibly respectful of young guys that are coming up, or always has been. That you can see the even with the mask, you can see the uh, how emotionally he gets when when people do who he, who he respects for their work do like that full bow in front of him, like when the uh, like the likes of Ricochet do it. Um, so yeah, that's that's not really the same at all. But. Uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Um, I'm not going to be there. Um, which is like when Summer Sizzler, um, when they started announcing names for that, I was like, I- I'm there. So um, yeah, it's it's a big difference in terms of draws. But I've seen plenty of people get retweeted by uh, by the Rev Pro account saying, "I uh, oh, would we definitely go and we booked that front row and that there will be people there. It's not going to be a bust."
2: Well, there's a chance vader doesn't show up as he has a tendency to do in the uk um which would be a complete or disaster.
1: refuse to job just as he's stepping through the curtain or demand more money
2: yes he has done all these things before in the uk uh <laughs> yeah i it's a complete
3: he, he is getting up there in age though so you, you kind of get the feeling he's he, he might be a bit more amiable well he was doing Although that like based two on years his... ago <laughs> we shall see we shall yeah. see yeah I mean, I've always had a lot of time for Vader. I mean, he let, let's not forget, he is one of the greatest big man wrestlers that there has ever been. This is not like... Uh, I, it's not like this is like a 61-year-old farlay <laughs> We're looking at somebody who's... Uh, who, When he was at his best, was the best of what he did. So I can see it playing out okay. Um, yeah, in terms of the booking and in terms of whether it'll... it'll um, put Andy Coulton over a barrel at some point. Hopefully not, but this is something that I'm hoping has been sorted out beforehand much like the booking with like Shabata and Saber. It's kind of the thing where you, you, you want to think he's planned it out beyond, ah, let's do this. I think he probably woke up one morning and, and thought that, but like then he planned it through.
2: Yeah, well at the same time, Vader has previously done shots where he's agreed to job and then As he's came out the curtain, changed his changed his mind on whether he's uh, feeling like he's willing to job. So uh, planning ahead may may not be enough in this case. Uh, Yeah, you can probably tell I have absolutely no interest in this. I have negative interest in this. Um, But it's it's drawing someone else, um, even if it's not drawing me. So Uh, I can understand why they do it. It's it's not. It's different. Which is.
3: <laughs> well, you can't always get what you want, Rob. But sometimes you get what you need.
2: This is not what I need. Vader vs. is definitely not <laughs> well, what I need.
3: You, you need different things in wrestling. Otherwise, you you just if um, if the nerds booked uh, all of wrestling all the time, then from like two thousand to like now. Would have been Angle versus Benoit, and that would have been it. That would have been the main event every every show because they were the best of what they did.
2: Too sure you get Benoit to match. <laughs> but if he'd have got the push, he probably. Like, oh, this, is, <laughs>
3: <laughs> this is going yeah. off into dark territory. I think we need to stop. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> don't go. But there. you get the you get the point that I'm making is like you you would just have the the two uh, best perceived work rate guys going up against each other. Like over and over, and you can't do that, the fans will get burned out on it, and it yeah, so you need to do different things, and he he is obviously aware that he needs to do different things, which is why he's gone in for this. It's an opportunity that has presented itself to him, and he's taken it
2: i I just don't see really the upside of doing this, and that i the the dangers of the potential downside are on, you know, yeah you it's not for me. It's not what I particularly want to see in York Hall shows, but uh, it's happening, unfortunately. Um, not unfortunately, Marty Sker just been booked for Bola, so that we're up to five Euro guys. Okay.
3: He should do well this year. I would have thought.
2: Did he go out first round last year? No, no, he got to the he got to face Zach, didn't he? Yeah,
1: he went out to Saber.
2: Was that was that second round or third? Uh,
1: I think it might have been the semi-final, if I remember correctly. I,
2: see, I can't remember any of his victories, but I remember him losing to Sabre, and I remember that being fairly far on, so... <laughs> <sighs> An interesting impression he's left there. Um, getting back to the plan talk. What culture pro wrestling? Talking about things that are not for me. My God, that commentary! I I did
3: say, awesome. <laughs> I did say it probably wouldn't be for well, you. That's why I
2: didn't watch most of it. I only watched like twelve seconds mm-hmm. of it, and that like <laughs> I I was gonna go.
3: When you say when you say most of it,
2: <laughs> you only watched twelve seconds. Well, that was enough for the commentary to make me close it. I I was gonna go. You know what, Guerra and Martin uh, Martin Kirby, they're good at comedy matches. I'll probably enjoy that. I don't enjoy many comedy matches, but if you know Martin Kirby's good at it. I'll probably enjoy that. I I didn't even get through the entrances. King Ross. Oh my, that. I just it, my ears started bleeding. <laughs> it was that off-putting, uh, and like that's that's been a pretty much universal reaction from. Well, well, maybe maybe not universal within the bubble. It's been universal. It yeah. It, it got a horrible reception. Um, it. I haven't spoken to anyone who actually liked it. Maybe some of the the what culture, um, regular fans who probably aren't in in the same sphere as uh, as the people the three of us are talking to. Uh, maybe they they I, enjoyed it. I doubt it.
3: it but um,
2: I I do
3: have some numbers for you though. The um, I watched it live, uh, like the show live on Monday night, and twenty three thousand people watched it live. Which I thought was quite astonishing, and I think it was yesterday. A hundred and forty thousand people have watched Demos' match. This is pretty big numbers. Very big
2: numbers. Yeah, uh, I
3: know it's a, I know, I know it's free, but um, uh, just getting the uh, the extra eyes on uh, on Britress is wonderful. Admittedly, some of the people that, that are watching that are just watching that and typing boring into the comments box. Well, fuck those people, and. There are people out there who will enjoy the commentary because that's the the style of a lot of the um, uh, videos and stuff on What Culture. It's not going to be for everyone. Um, the some <laughs> you have to understand some of the people that, that read that website are f- <laughs>
1: <laughs> so wow <laughs> going all in there. <laughs>
3: When when you're catering to, to people of that ilk, then <laughs> that's what you get. I, noticed I said, some of this is not like a generalisation. It's <laughs> just like a bit, there there is a very vocal minority that every time some uh, video goes up of theirs, uh, <laughs> the uh, the editor of what culture just came online <laughs> <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> onto Skype yeah, like while I said that. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, there, there is this very vocal minority that when, any, whenever they comment on anything on um, uh, any any of the videos it's just you can see that the IQ is very low. They're not going to hear this because they're not going to be aware that there is a, a wrestling Twitter or a Voices of Wrestling. They're very much in their own bubble. But that bubble's getting pretty big um, which is why this exists. It's why this has got a big market and I've I think we're gonna to have to pay attention to it.
1: Um, I think unless you're already a fan of what culture and what they do, it's gonna be difficult to enjoy what culture pro wrestling because so much of it is driven by those personalities, um, who are already established in what they already do, it makes it very difficult to jump in and not knowing who they are care about essentially the managers instead of the wrestlers. And also, yeah, the commentary. Um, King Ross might be the worst commentator ever. I won't bury the other guy, uh, Simon Miller, because I have goodwill for him for the other things he's done online. But uh,
3: He seemed to have trouble pronouncing Ligero, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, he wasn't great, but he was better than King Ross, I'll give him that.
3: <laughs> Unless it was like a joke thing that he couldn't pronounce the names, and I, I don't know. But, uh, the it, the actual taping when I was at it, I, I thought all the what culture guys that were on the taping, uh, as in like the guys that weren't doing commentary, I thought they all did perfectly well in in the roles that they had, and they they all won me over pretty quick. Considering I I don't know them that well, um, they were all very personable, they were all very likable. I thought Blampiade was was doing great work as a heel. Um, I I get the feeling we are, are not. In any way, the target audience for this, but uh, at the same time, that there is going to be good stuff on there, I think. So it's uh, it's just a case of putting up with the the rough to get to the smooth. But um, at the same time, variety and you know having different promotions doing different stuff—that's part of the fun of being a wrestling fan. You get to see different things. I mean I know I don't think any of us are overly keen on uh on uh, ICW um at the moment but uh it's the same sort of uh, situation whereas if if you don't like the promotion that you're watching there's another 10 promotions that are doing you know passable work the, the good thing about the the what culture tapings is they were very professional all the, the 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 video is fine uh they had a bit of a dodgy green screen for I'm the backstage bait. interviews <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, also, the um, I, I was told by uh, um, Sam, whose surname I can't remember, he's the guy that does most of the editing for for What Culture, that they were going to try and edit out some of the crowd noise that was a bit uh, controversial, but they didn't bother doing that. So it, it went out after the watershed, and I, I thought the um, they probably made the right call because the atmosphere was, was the best part of the show. So it was supposed to be a, l- a little bit shorter than that, wasn't it? <laughs> it's, just, it's just brief.
2: Um, yeah. To, <laughs> to summarise, if you're listening to this, you probably won't enjoy it, so don't waste your time. Um, what-
3: Although the, the next show has got the um, the next episode, next Monday, has the uh, uh, Liguero match uh, with Jay Lethal which is pretty good.
2: Maybe maybe check that out then, and just that, and avoid as much of the commentary as possible. Listen to it on mute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm
3: going to say, if you don't have the commentary, you can always mute it.
2: Um. What, what number did you say? How many people had watched it? Do you, do you have that number on you? The, uh, the number, when I
3: looked, was 140,000. Um, I don't know if that's gone up.
2: Yeah, so that's... That's huge, because if you're you're looking at the highest RevPro TV from when they were doing YouTube, uh, it's their Skull vs. Osprey um, episode. Uh, That had 18k. So, no, that's almost 10 times as much in a day. No, in half a week, even. So, yes, very very impressive Uh, numbers-wise. Yes,
3: 162,000 it's up to.
2: Yeah, very impressive numbers-wise. Um maybe less impressive quality wise but uh, yeah moving on moving on because it's not for us Uh, definitely not for me Uh, that's that's my catchphrase at this point Um, uh, voiceofwrestling.com slash seatgeek voiceofwrestling.com slash amazon or voiceofwrestling.com slash wwe shop any of those same price for you we get a little kickback helps run the site um, and it's appreciated uh, moving on pcw we we talked about it a bit uh, on the last episode they ran an ipay per view well we did we just talk about it then you edited all that the abuse out <laughs> well i edited well basically we previewed it and then i think ollie had a bit of trouble uploading his his portion of it and the episode ended up going out after the ipay per view had aired. so i cut out mm-hmm. most of the preview um because it doesn't make much sense to preview it, especially given the quality of the show, because no one should be watching it on replay, because it was awful by all reports. I don't think anyone actually watched it, but uh, it got thoroughly panned. But
3: I I talked myself out of it. I actually talked myself out of it on the preview when I said that Ken Anderson was my least favourite wrestler of all time, and I decided that I just didn't want to sit through one of his matches, which uh, by all accounts was like dud or possibly lower.
2: Yeah... um... It was a very PCW show by all accounts. Overbooking, um, e- like the one match we were really looking forward to was uh, the London Riots versus Team Single. I think that got about six minutes. Uh, <laughs> while Kenan, how long
3: did how long did the raffle get?
2: Um, well, actually, they didn't air the raffle. They they aired the intro to the raffle, and then when the raffle was actually taking place, we got the graphic for the main event, just the stationary graphic for a couple of minutes, apparently. Um,
3: that's um, it's an embarrassment, really. That is the,
2: the one positive you could well you can you can say take two positives. I, wait, I'm going to be really positive. Three positives here. <laughs> Tony Storm won a match, um, and it was apparently fairly good. Uh, that's one. Uh, number two, Noam Dar won the title um, in awful fashion, but uh, he won the title, and Noam Dar is very good. Um, although. He's also signed, so he's probably not going to be holding it too long. But uh, yes, he Noam Dar won the PCW Championship, and he's one of the few people who can somehow manage to have good matches in PCW despite all the chaos going on uh, on around them. Um, and apparently, the state stream went on off without a hitch, so everyone saw all the awfulness. Um, but but they 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 saw it. Damn it. Um, yeah. P- PCW proved why, despite being at um, whatever price point it was, uh, it was going to be £3, £3 and then the Brexit happened, um, which I actually predicted on podcast. Um, well, nah, no chance of Brexit happening. Uh, <laughs> so it ended. Up- I, I remember
3: making, making a little joke about it saying, oh, it'll be cheaper for the Americans if we get the Brexit go through. Going like ah, this will be funny, and then it happened, and it was just like yeah, that's
2: that's not funny anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, they they proved why even at the low price point we weren't that interested. Um, yeah, we probably won't be talking too much about uh, PCW when they run the next I pay per view because uh, not not worth anyone's Unless time. It's the-
3: Unless it's the Ring of Honor one, then
2: yeah, probably not. Well, from all reports, from all reports that um, or Top Gun, the the event dedicated to ends. Billy Gun. Um, uh, yeah, but from all reports, the Ring of Honor relationship seems to be kind of dead. Um, there's a bit of oh confusion dear. there, but uh, there, there's a reason. Uh, I I I was told at one point that PCW told Ring of Honor don't let your talents work anywhere else. And Ring of Honor went, you you don't really get uh, anywhere else in the UK. And, and uh, Ring of Honor kind of went, um, I'm not sure you really get to dictate that to us um, because we're kind of the big company here
3: in this relationship. I, well, I think their, their relationship with the, the big boys in New Japan kind of slanted that one as well. It's kind of put it more towards Rogue Pro. Yeah. That, it's Preston City, no, nobody cares.
2: And, like, Lethal's working basically every promotion in the UK, apart mm. from Preston at the moment, so, uh, if that's any indication... He just keeps
3: turning up.
2: <laughs> so, uh, Ring
3: of Honour look really short on bookings or something, they're champions everywhere.
2: Well, I um, think he has an exclusive contract that means he's exclusive to Ring of Honour um, in but only in the US. So in the UK, he can take whichever bookings he wants. Um, and recently, he started um, taking advantage taking advantage of that, uh, which is why he's been showing up um, here, there, and everywhere across the UK, apart from in Preston City. Um, yeah, Preston City is awful. Um, and speaking of something, another Segway King here. Uh, speaking of something else <laughs> that might be awful. Uh, Arn, you want us to talk a bit about ICW and their potentially fatal impending uh, financials?
3: I mean, I, I don't want to play this up as like, a, this is the doom, this is the death of the company or anything like this, because it won't, almost certainly won't be, because ICW has a, a very big fan base, uh, probably the biggest of, of any company in the UK. However, um, they have a slight problem, and that problem is that they don't have a money man that is also the owner of the company which is the case for um, every other promotion it's pretty much the promoter is the guy that pays all the bills with uh icw the money man is a guy called duncan gray uh he's the owner of triple g uh, music up in scotland it's a pretty big uh like gigs uh, uh website and Word from inside the company is that he's getting a little bit cheesed off at the lack of uh, financial back-end from uh, ICW's uh, live shows. And the breaking point for this seems to be the show that they're running at the Hydro uh, in, like, what, four months? Three months, four months? Was it November or October? I can't remember.
2: Uh, November.
3: November. Um I mean, at the moment, that show is not really getting the kind of hype that the company was was getting last year for a show that was in a much, much smaller venue. I mean, they're looking to, to double their fan base effectively in a year and they've really not set about that too well in the booking. If
2: anything, it feels like it's almost shrunk.
3: It, yeah, it feels like the buzz really isn't there anymore. They've done a couple of, um, uh, like, stunt-type, things that haven't come off um and the problem is going to be that if this hydro show financially is a bust then mr gray may pull out which leaves uh mark dallas with a a significant problem uh which is like what what does he do if he hasn't got any kind of uh finances coming in it means he's got to start building up again um which means dropping down to, to smaller venues. It means less ambitious uh, shows. Certainly in terms of like imports and big stars being brought in, it's going to mean uh, a, a big Angle. change in the plans. Uh, right, Kurt Angle. Um, I, I know people within ICW, and from what I hear, Kurt Angle is going to cost $20,000. For the hydro, which is that's quite a lot of money. Um, when when you're dealing with that kind of cash, you kind of have to make him like the main focus of the show. And have they even announced what he's doing?
2: Um, well, we are still quite a way out. Um, uh, I don't think I don't think true. they've really announced anything apart from a few names. I mean, the bonus
3: for for ICW is that Angle is a big name. This is a big risk, no doubt about it. But you go and put his name on a poster, and there are people in Scotland who will just go because of the name value. But are
2: there enough? Which is the question? Um,
3: that's the question. Are there like you know eight to ten thousand people that are going to turn up? Um, because that's what they need. Um, if they start slipping below that number, then they could be in trouble. Um, I mean, that's plus flights. I mean, Kurt Angle uh, was brought over by Rev Pro and they uh gave him the whole uh business class uh treatment when he came over. So, you know, he's he's gonna want to expect that again. I, I am certain it's part of the deal that he's got that he's gonna want those expensive flights. So, um, this, this is not. With, with the way the company is going, it's not a good position for ICW to be in. They, they need uh, to build um, something big in a much shorter time span than I'm sure they were planning on doing. Especially when... I mean, uh, Demo isn't going to be there. He'll be, He's going to be gone by then. Um, Dar is another guy that you'd think would have been a draw on that card as well. He's not going to be there. And it's getting to the point where what is going to be the the main focus for this show. I I can only assume they're going to go uh, Joe Hendry.
2: Well, I think Joe Kofi may be the champion by that point in time. Um, Cause he's facing uh, Damo for the belt on their pay-per-view. That's coming. Yeah. up. Yeah.
3: Well, he's almost certainly going to win the title, but then, you know, who's your, who's your focus then? I mean, because he's going to win it before the show. Can you go so, Gradó,
2: um, Demo or Galloway, Demo? because they're kind of their biggest stars, really.
3: I know mean, it's really hard to tell. It's... The company has kind of gone backwards, and this is a problem because they needed to go forwards in order to to fill this arena. Um... It's
2: crazy to think. It's crazy to think that they could draw like six thousand people here, and it would be problematic. Um, but that's like a genuine possibility. It
3: could be. It could be, um, it could be a genuine hearing, problem anyway. for him.
1: I think what we've seen this year um, is that as successful as rest is, it's certainly <laughs> nowhere near to selling out an arena like a WWE-sized one.
3: It's well. It's overreaching, we, is what it is. Did we
2: ever believe that? <laughs> did?
1: I mean, you look at the five star tour and how that bombed, and uh, now this, apparently.
3: Yeah, we did always say that I was going to fail, but. Well, um, ICW I think is the fi-
1: like a different kettle of fish here. Uh, like, they did well in their last Fear and Loathing show, and it seemed like they could make this work, but it just hasn't, apparently. I,
3: I'm not even sure they thought this through, because uh, the way ICW have, have gone up in terms of attendance has been meteoric. It's uh, it's almost unprecedented uh, the way they've gone from like a few hundred people to to thousands of people in a matter of years, and trying to go from there to we want to be the the second largest promotion in the world is it, it's ambitious. And at the time when they announced it last year, I thought, oh well, you know, good for them. But it seems to have become. Um, like a weight around their neck. And I think at the moment they just want to get through that show in one piece with everyone still there and then rebuild. And if they make it through that show and like nobody explodes or, and nobody quits, then they'll have done all right. And as long as they break even, they, hopefully that that's enough to keep them in business and keep going for, I would say they, they will always still be in business, but not in the way that they would have hoped if they lose the financial backing.
2: Like they, they drew. The number announced was thought four thousand last year. Um, depending on who you believe, it might have been a bit less than that. Um, but like we were all like amazed by how well they drawn drew last year. But they didn't fill the arena. Like even if, even if it was four thousand people, like it could have they could have had more people in there. And yet they've still gone and tried to double the arena size. It, even at the time, it seems... like we we're all like buzzing about IC, how well ICW was doing and how impressive it was for the scene. But even at the time, we're like, so they're they, they trying to double the size again, and then like, I get it's hard to get the impression um, we're all living in England. It's just hard to get like the Scottish buzz impression. But I feel like. Grado's stars diminished somewhat um, since that time, um, and he was. It like probably doesn't help star. TNA
3: had done nothing with him. Yeah. If TNA had actually used him in any way that was useful, then that would have that would have helped ICW out a great deal. And you can't help but think that at some point they should have had a conversation about co-promoting shows in the UK. TNA obviously think they're above that, but their house show attendances suggest otherwise. If they'd have co-promoted with uh with with ICW, they could have done some really good business. The exchange for that would have been some of their guys get a bit of a push over in the States, get a bit of a bigger name for themselves. Everyone wins. But in typical TNA fashion, they're just like they just want to do their own thing, fuck everyone else. And everyone's paying the price for it. Nobody wins.
2: Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely something to keep your eye on. Um, it, it's quite a stark contrast from, uh, uh, what, what would it be, like eight months ago when we are all... Uh, how, how amazing must ICW's financials be doing after they've just run a 4K show? Um, now now uh, mm. things are looking a bit more worrying uh, and they haven't even had their Wait, big it's show that, yet. that
3: 1PW thing where, like... Um... With one PW, I understand exactly why they overreached at times because they had a financial backer, whether that be, um, uh, you know, One Up Games, where she was to begin with, or whether it was the super secret backer, who I happen to know who it is, but I'm not allowed to say. Oh. Uh, whether it was him, uh, later in uh in time, backing it up, then they always had this financial backup where you know they were never going to like collapse and it only went wrong when, when somebody else took charge and they didn't have that financial backing, that's the problem with ICW, if they lose their money guy then that's a problem so if that Hydro show doesn't perform, if they if they sell 4,000 for the Hydro, it's an amazing crowd but it's not good enough
2: because big arenas cost a lot of money they do um...
3: and Kurt Angle cost 20 grand <laughs> mm-hmm
2: um, yeah, we've got two Progress shows to talk about, and uh, it usually takes us, like, at least half an hour to talk about one of them. We, we've gone quite long, so we'll get straight on to it. Um, Progress ran two shows, I think, the weekends after each other? Um, uh, yeah, so Progress ran two shows, uh, one in Manchester and one in London on June the 19th and then June 26th. Um, within quick succession and one of them at the time of recording has dropped on demand, uh, chapter 31 while uh, chapter 32 hasn't so I haven't seen it but uh, both Ollie and Arm were at at the the event itself so they'll be able to uh, give the live perspective there Um, and by the time this episode drops it'll probably have dropped itself Um, the show will probably have dropped uh, that diatribe's going to take some editing, because I rambled a lot there. Um, yeah, let's, let's get straight to it, because we've already gone quite long. Yeah, All Hell of the New Pur- Puritans, chapter 31, took place June the 19th at the Ritz. Um, a pretty decent show, by most accounts, with a slightly underwhelming undercard, and a main event that most people seem to, um, love, although, uh, Reading your review today, Ollie, uh, you you didn't seem to think so. Um, since we've already kind of mentioned that, we'll we'll uh, we'll change the order. We'll go straight to the main event, uh, which Alan might not be too happy about because he's not here at this point. But uh, he might be here by the end of conversation. Uh, I'm back. He is back. I'm back. <laughs> uh, yeah, Marty Skill versus Chris Hero. Um, loads of people seem to lose their mind for this one. Uh, Ollie, you didn't seem too too into it. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. This one I was so hyped for, like it's two of my favorite wrestlers in the world. um I've seen them before have a match live uh in Birmingham for Kamikaze Pro back in two thousand and fourteen um and that was like before uh Skirl had even like become this like international indie star and so this had all the makings of turning into a match that I would really, really love, but it never quite landed for me. Um, I thought the match started really slowly. um, not a lot happened in the opening minutes the opening exchanges. Nothing really hooked me from the beginning, and that made it difficult to actually get into the match once i uh once it got going and when it even did get going, I still felt it was a little off. I think this is in part due to the fact that I've sort of gone off uh the super indie style the american super indie style that both of these guys especially chris hero works um like this just felt like an anonymous mid-card pwg match that could have happened on any pwg show it didn't feel special it didn't feel like a real main event and some of that comes down to Hero being an import and me knowing that there was no chance that he would actually win the title part of that um we mentioned uh last time like when Hero was uh facing Josh Bodum like how it felt a little bit unrealistic that Bodum's like Bodum being a smaller size but like still trading blows with Hero that came up here again like Hero might just be too big For some of the Cruiserweight guys, like, it's just not believable that Skull's, like, trading blows with Hero. I mean, Skull's obviously built, but, like, Hero's just massive. So part of it was I just couldn't get past the aesthetic size difference between the two of them, and the fact that Hero was the face getting beaten down by the smaller heel, and they just didn't do anything to work around that. So, yeah, basically I thought this was Hero's worst match in progress of the four I, I thought they were all good but the Super Strong Style matches were all special in different ways, which just, this wasn't
2: You see, I thought this was actually Hero's best match in the UK of the, his few weeks stay, well actually he didn't stay, he uh, he was taking flights back and forth, but uh, the Rev Pro show and the the Super Strong Style tournament and then this chapter I thought this was the best Hero match, I agree that it did take a while to get going but once it did i really enjoyed it um hero's so good um there were there were times when it was a little bit too fighting spirity for my my tastes um you know a, a few too many fire ups uh, after taking moves rather than selling them um which you know it definitely an acquired taste um some people will always love that me it has to be done selectively for me to properly enjoy it. But I really felt... It, it felt important, I thought. Um, clearly you didn't, but... Uh, um, there were people who, who were seeing this as a, a real match of the year contender. Yeah, I saw uh, um, on the Voices
1: of Wrestling Twitter someone um, at the guys and uh, recommend this as a five-star match.
2: I, I didn't have it quite at that level. Um, but, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and I thought it was... Easily the superior match compared to the Andrews match, um, which everyone was going nuts for at the the Super Strong Star. Um, yeah,
1: I would uh, disagree with that. I would say the Andrews match was better. Maybe I'm saying that because I was there live and people going mental for it live. Live wrestling's always better. But um, I felt that the Andrews match especially just created a specific story within the match and, like, Chris Hero being the bully. Like, it was much more aesthetically pleasing for the big guy to just bully the little guy, and, like, he had the hospital's with Volta and End. Those matches just felt a lot more engaging than this. This one sort of had no identity. It didn't really know what it wanted to be, I think.
3: Oh, okay. Um... <laughs> I I have to agree with, um... The majority of fans have been uh, piping up saying it's it's a great match, it's a match of the year contender. Uh, I think it's up there. Uh, the only match that I think might possibly have been better um, than this one was uh, Skirl and Osprey from January, um, which obviously puts me a little bit uh, higher on the the scale than Ollie, which is weird because we're normally quite uh, close in terms of ratings, but... Uh, uh, what, what did you give it? Uh,
1: three stars. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. I'm three and three um,
2: quarters, I'm, I'm never higher than Ollie.
3: <laughs> Damn, I'm actually shocked.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely the low man on uh, the star rating scale here. Um, I think part of that maybe was to do with the mood I was watching it, in. maybe because of a weaker undercard I was kind of bored by the time the main event rolled around. Um. But I just can't give it anything like close to four stars because I just didn't see it as a great match or a memorable match. I watched it three times to review it because I just couldn't remember any of the spots that happened in it. It just didn't land with me. Yeah, it's difficult to say anything other than that, really.
2: Sometimes matches just don't click with you.
3: The only real complaint I had uh, about this match was that... um... I didn't feel like Skrull was believable in, in terms of like um, the amount of no selling that he was doing because he was so much smaller than, than Hero. Um, but apart from that, I thought it was a really well worked match. It was uh, one of these brutal back and forth, and like the, the only problem was that Hero was so much bigger, um, which is always going to be uh, difficult to make it believable for him to have that kind of match with anyone. Even the the Mark Andrews match where he, he's just pummeling the guy and he keeps kicking out. It's like, at what point does it cease to be believable that he keeps kicking out? But that was the whole story of that match and the story of this one, is it was uh, you know the old uh, back-and-forth uh, brawl. I love the... One of my favourite parts of this match was that um, Hero uh, no-sold a lot of Skrull's early offence, including the chops. And as the match progressed and Skrull had worked on the arm... And the shoulder. Uh, then he went back to the chops, and that's when Hero started selling them because it was like you know he did done some actual damage in there, and it, it logic dictated that he had to then sell. Whereas before he was just like, well, "I'm not going to sell that." Um, so yeah, I thought it was a great match. I, the other uh, thing that could have possibly have affected opinions on it is that the undercard was so poor, and I think when you've got a, a rough undercard. Sometimes it enhances the main event because you kind of sit through all this and it's like, oh, this is crap. And then the main event is great and it's just the contrast is incredible. Uh, or because you've sat through like a rough show, it's like maybe you're then not prepared to to love the main event. And that's the the two contrasting... Uh, situations that we've got in terms of how we've rated it.
1: Yeah, I think if but I had I'd... watched it maybe on a different day, if I was in a better mood, then maybe I could have gone like three and a half or something. But it it just didn't land with me, and even on rewatch, I still couldn't get into it. So yeah, uh,
3: I think if it doesn't land the first time, it's n- it's not going to work magically a second time. Uh, sometimes it is dependent on on like how your mood is going into that match. Uh, an example. Uh, the uh, SummerSlam 98 ladder match uh, between Triple H and The Rock, I, it doesn't click with me, and yet people say it's one of the, the best ladder matches uh, like WWE have ever done, and I'm just not seeing that at all. It, apparently it made both of their careers, and I'm like, it wasn't very
2: good.
1: Um,
2: One-on-one ladder matches rarely are
1: any good. So yeah, we should probably move on to the undercard of Chapter Thirty-One and just run through that pretty quickly.
3: Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll go through it quick because this
2: undercard isn't
3: worth talking about.
1: So up first we had the Atlas Tournament Tag Team Match: Uh, Damo and Kofi versus Brown and Replacement Whiplash. Yeah,
2: the Atlas Tournament continues to be an utter mess. Um, people like uh, half the matches now um, at this point seem to have had people missing and substituting in. Um,
1: yeah, it's fair to say that um, it's been a bit of a mess now because um, all three of the Atlas Tournament matches that we're going to be talking about uh, on this show had replacements in them. Um, the tag team matches have like confused the block standings, like they're not going to do a third singles match. It's still just very odd. They haven't announced um, the tiebreakers or anything. It- it's just been hard to follow, and we need to get to the semifinals soon, I think.
3: Yeah. Well, the this was, this was a nothing match because it ended up as two-on-one uh, with Whiplash not tagging in, uh, which is a real pity because the talent that they had originally for that tag would have been a great match. Never happened. This was nothing. Uh,
1: next up, we had Damon Moser versus Nathan Cruz, and it took Damon Moser 37 seconds to come through the curtain. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely milks that entrance, and uh, unfortunately the match really didn't live up to standard either. I, I
3: spent the whole of this match just just sitting there going like why am I watching this guy his haircut's stupid he's got a terrible beard he doesn't even work out what's the point in rooting for him like he's you can see his belly fat just hanging over his tights and I'm like get in better shape for fuck's sake like if they're gonna push you then go to the goddamn gym
1: (laughs) so yeah we were not the biggest fans of this match um moza won with like a banana peel roll up after the uh Origin interference went awry. Yeah, the, the finish looked like crap. Um, Just a bad end to a bad match, really. Uh, we should probably skip it and move on to the next one, which was Dahlia Black versus Pollyanna in uh somewhat of a blow-off match for their feud that's been going on for most of the year. And I thought this match worked really well as a, a kind of blow-off to their feud. Uh, this is one of the better matches of the night, actually. Um, I thought both women put in a good performance here.
2: Um... I liked what they did, but I felt the match as a whole was, felt a little disjointed. It didn't flow as well as I was hoping it, it did. It would. I, I liked the, um, the Ginny interference spot. I liked the way they handled that, because they they were, they'd set up that if anyone had interfered, both ladies would be fired, because the idea is, um, that, that would stop both TK Cooper and, um, Jack Sacksmith interfering. Uh, but obviously Ginny would want to exploit that because she doesn't particularly like either of these two women and um, there is an upcoming tournament coming up and um it, it would behoove her to get them out the way and out the company. Uh, so that made sense and then I love the way they handled it because, of course, the owner of the company is stood at ringside. He's not going to let some random heel exploit the stipulation. He's just going to go, Oh, I didn't mean the stipulation like that. I'll just change it slightly because why wouldn't you do that? And um, that logic is so often just missing. In like, if that happened in WWE, they like the owner wouldn't have come out and said, "Oh no, the, the stipulation wasn't meant like that." Um, it, it would have just.
3: Uh, it's it's more it's more than likely they would have had her interfere, it be a DQ, and the both girls get, get fired, and then they'd have retconned it like with some bullshit the yeah, next day
2: yeah um so i really appreciated that it maybe it affected did i was talking about the match not flowing perfectly having like a, a minute long uh walk in uh, as opposed to a run in um maybe that didn't help the flow but but logically i i appreciate it yeah that. i think the early portion um, of the match
1: was affected by everyone knowing that some sort of interference was going to occur because if you announce interference would occur <laughs> it's probably going to happen rest in logic but uh, after the interference spot, I thought the match really picked up. Uh, I thought uh, Dahlia was impressive in the ring. Like, she used her athleticism very well. Like, her kicks, uh, she's no Kenta, but they look pretty vicious. Pollyanna sold them really well. And Pollyanna, like, towards the end of the match, got to look really dominant, hit some big moves, uh, get a big authoritative win, and put Dahlia in the rearview mirror.
2: I, I had this around. Three and three quarter stars. Uh, sorry, three and a quarter stars. So <laughs> nothing nothing amazing, but um one of the few solid uh, parts of the undercard.
3: I, I might actually be the, the
1: low man on the totem pole with that one then uh,
3: although it was okay, when... but
1: uh, yeah, moving on. <laughs> yeah, we move on to the London Riots, uh running through the Dazzler team to defend their Progress Tag Team Championships. Although you well, know When
2: you say that
1: Yeah, not really running through, because the Dazzler team, you know, got a fair chunk of offense here. But for the most part, they were here to make the Riots look good, and I thought they embraced their sort of jobber status here. They did their uh, Dazzler pose on the stage for 87 (laughs) seconds um, before they entered the ring.
3: I thought my stream was stuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought that little bit, though, was um, good to get over how dorkish they were, and like, show that they were inferior to the Riots. Although the match didn't really play out that way, they sort of beat the Riots um, technically and grounded them for quite a long time, and it was like the Riots' explosive offence that got them back in.
2: Yeah, the match started and I thought, oh, they're, they're doing this the right way, they're just going to have the Riots run straight through the Dazzler team, because and quite frankly the Dazzler team don't belong on chapter show level shows. Um, and then the Dazzlers took control of the match for the majority of the match, Um which was stupid, um, and the, then the riots won quickly with a semi botched finish. Um, yeah, it started well. Uh, it, it after that, it wasn't particularly good. Um, it, thankfully, we've got the dazzlers out the I, way I honestly, now I honestly thought this was going to be coming.
3: worse than it was. It was kind of okay, and I, I was all right with that. Um, I kind of like of the the matches on this card. I'd say three were okay uh, in terms of like being. Like pass level, and this was one of them. Oh, this is all right. Um, Wales have just won, Um, which segs nicely into the next match, sin as this is uh, Wales' biggest win, like ever, as a football team beating uh, Belgium in the quarterfinals of the Euros. And in the next match, you had two Welsh gentlemen, FSU, uh, scoring a victory over the Brothers in what I thought was the second best match on the cover.
1: Yeah, and I would go so far as to say uh it was the best match on the card, but uh like a really fun tag team match, like lots of action here and a lot of genuinely unique offense on display here. Like these teams know each other so well, like it was all action, all four guys involved at once. <laughs> Maybe some uh legal man issues, so uh Rob probably wasn't too happy with that.
2: There was a little legal man iffiness in there, for sure.
1: It was fun though. It was a fun match. We've talked about uh, how good Pete Dunn is. Now he's in bowler. This match really just showed again how good he is.
3: Yeah, he, he was a star, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, but yeah. uh, Damien Dunn wasn't too bad either. Like, he's no tango lower here. He can very much hold his own.
3: Hmm. He is better for tagging with him. There's no doubt about that. In singles, Damien is okay. But when he's tagging with Pete, then... They're, they're a very strong unit.
1: Yeah, so we're talking a lot about Pete Dunne and just how good he is now, but uh, Progress don't seem to be pushing him that much. Like, he, he hasn't really been winning a lot. He's been taking a lot of falls. He uh, took two falls on the Super Strong start all weekend.
2: Has he won a match
1: yet? Um, they The Dunne brothers beat Mustache Mountain. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, he's young, he can come back.
2: I um, yeah definitely a very fun match. I get the impression that they're they're almost making it like a, a Manchester tradition to have these um uh these like Midlands well teams that frequent for frequent frequent the uh the the Midlands scene uh for them bring the, bring them up for the Manchester shows uh having a mid uh, a mid card tag match that's always a lot of fun. Um, we had the Don bros versus Mustache Mountain, um, now this match. I feel like that that might be something that becomes somewhat of a regular theme on these Manchester shows and um, I'm well up for that because they've both been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, FSU versus Hunter Brothers next. Winner stays on. <laughs> Speaking of matches that weren't a lot of fun, uh, Mikey Whiplash versus Pastor William Eva. uh Whiplash continues to not have good matches despite being a good wrestler. I'm always expecting more from it's him. Like he's um, cursed.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So this is a rough match. That's what
2: you get for beating Jesus.
3: I guess so. Yeah, there, there is some okay brawling and like the, the stuff with the chairs is ri- unnecessarily brutal,
1: but there wasn't much of a match. Yeah, Mikey Whiplash always absolutely throws himself into those chairs when he does the chair spot. <laughs> He really puts his body on the line when he's doing that crowd brawling. It's it's exciting to see.
3: Oh yeah, he took some t- suitably uh, brutal uh, spots in it, but uh, as a match, it uh, was not
2: too much. And then we get back to the main event, which we've already covered. Yeah, so, we've um, done that. An okay show. Undercard was nothing. I enjoyed the main event. On um, seemed to very much enjoy the main event and. Uh...
3: Hero. Then you'd think this was you know, show of the year contender, but like everything else, kind of was underwhelming.
1: So that was chapter thirty-one. We'll move on to chapter thirty-two, which happened the week after uh, Sunday, June twenty-sixth, and started off with Damon Moser versus Nathan Cruz. And once again, Damon Moser took <sighs> took his time coming out. Uh, it was thirty-two seconds, I-, I believe, which means he's actually sped up. Thirty-two seconds.
2: You were one of these people at shows with the stopwatch <laughs> Yeah, I yeah,
1: only to time Damon Moses' entrance though because I pay special attention to it. As for the match itself, this was a pretty uh heavy brawl, it was an ODQ match, and Moses's a little better in that kind of <laughs> environment. Um he his flaws are kind of hidden away. Um and Moses threw himself into this one with gusto. Like he really puts in a lot of effort, even if uh like, the end result is kind of lacking a little bit. But he and Cruz really worked hard here. Um, it was mainly more of a story match, though. It was about, um, obviously, they were aligned in the faceless, which was from a long time ago now, a year and a half ago.
3: It's It's been a while.
1: Yeah, so they invoked the faceless storyline a lot throughout this match. They whipped out the faceless talk box, which was a thing that they used to use. Um, pretty sure no one remembers that, but they used it here.
3: Yeah, What? But mo- most of us are, you know, pretty heavy drinkers. i <laughs> not that good.
1: Yeah. So this match probably wasn't for the heavy drinkers. They whipped out the faces toolbox filled with um, all the kinky weapons <laughs> that it contained.
3: Cable ties and uh, and whatnot. Um, I I was a little harsh on uh, on Moser earlier uh, because he deserved it at the time. But this match I thought was probably like his best match that he's had, like on a, a chapter show. Um there was an awful lot of smoke and mirrors involved in making him look that good, but you know how he, he normally looks clumsy, uh, you know, selling and, you know, taking bumps and stuff. Uh, there was none of that here. Cause he, he just kind of threw himself into everything. Uh, it was a much better effort. He still needs to work on a lot of things, but if this is, uh, potentially a, a way for him to get around that, if he becomes like a, either like a, a guy that does a lot of, like hardcore style matches until he actually gets uh, better at the technical stuff, then that would be fine by me.
1: Yeah, he definitely looked better than he ever has before in this one. This is probably his best match so far.
3: Hmm. Like, so this this is easily, I think, his, his best match on, on the main uh, the, the main roster, as it were.
1: Yeah, so the match ended with Cruz and Gibson concertoing Moser and defeating him. Uh, presumably he's going to fight back against the Origin. Uh, before the second match, though, a man got kicked out, and that was very odd.
3: I had no idea what was going on because uh, we were stood right next to him, so it was like, "What's he getting kicked out for?" But um, the, the whole uh, thing about progress is, is all about unity and togetherness, and and this is what uh, Jim was uh, Jim Smallman was was saying at the start of the show that it's like, you know, we're, we're all together here, we're all one uh, group of people, we're all a family. And this guy was apparently flipping him off while he was while he was saying it, and it just kind of uh, wound him up, and uh, he got into arguments with other people in the crowd. Uh, this this guy, and um, so Jim kicked him out, plain and simple.
1: So the second match we had was TK Cooper versus Jack Sexsmith, and TK Cooper looked really good here. Jack Sexsmith looked pretty good here as well.
3: Um, TK Cooper is a lot better than I gave him any credit for. Um, I know he showed signs of this uh, at um, Strong Style 16. Uh, I thought he was very good in that match with uh, Jack Gallagher, but that you really didn't get to see a lot of him here. In this match, he was the driving force behind it. He controlled the pace. Uh, he made Sexsmith look like a, look a pretty decent worker out there. Uh, we've been kind of critical of Jack in terms of like he's just a gimmick. You know, he doesn't he's not really that great in the ring. But you know, this this match is fine. There was fine. There's really nothing that wrong with it. Yeah, um, Sexsmith
1: Smith um, um confined the gimmick to the entrance, I think, and when in the match actually concentrated on the wrestling and looked pretty good. I think he's found that balance now between actually working and the gimmick.
3: Yeah, he looks looks real smooth. Good.
1: Yeah, I would say Cooper definitely took the lead on this match, but uh Sex looked a lot better than he has before. Um he kept the antics to the entrance.
3: It's more just the entrance, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, as for the match itself, it was pretty good, actually. Uh, both guys put in this good showing. I think they have good chemistry with each other as well. Um, and the ending saw Travis Banks run in uh, after the referee got distracted and taking out Sexsmith, um, to allow TK Cooper for the win.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh besides yourself uh Ollie do you think anyone actually recognised who uh Travis Banks was? <laughs> um
1: I was very proud of myself for uh recognising who he was. Um I earned nerd points for that one.
3: <laughs> yeah. Graps nerd. He's good.
1: Yeah, it's good to see Travis Banks in progress now. I've seen him around a couple of times and he plays a great solid snake.
2: <laughs>
1: and it's also good to see uh TK Cooper getting the win over um Uh, The Projo guy in Sexsmith and sort of moving on up the card now with uh, Travis Banks. They're going to be part of that tag team division we were talking about earlier that progress is starting to foster. Okay, so next up on the card we had um, the big grudge match between Laura DiMatteo and Ginny. And this started off really well and sort of decreased in quality as it went on. Um, Laura DiMatteo started this match off with an incredible suicide dive to the outside. It was great. Yeah,
3: she wiped out like three rows of people with that. It was beautiful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But uh, after that uh, great dive uh, the match started to fall apart a little bit.
3: A little bit. It was the... uh, She went for like a a Super Rana where she was trying to come off the top and uh, Laura this is and she kind of went to step on the top rope and fell off and Ginny had to hold her there and then they went for it again and uh, she fell off again. So that's that's not going to look too sharp on the uh, on the video, I wouldn't have thought. And the ending was, was quite badly botched.
1: Yeah, they sort of froze at the ending. Like, Laura was supposed to roll up Ginny, but it sort of happened way too slowly.
3: Mm. Yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment, but then we, we have to remember they're both kind of inexperienced. They've been put in a real big position there.
1: Yeah, which perhaps makes you wonder whether they were really ready for this spot. Like, there was a lot of sloppy execution in the moves here, and uh, you just can't have that from, like, such a big-time, like, feud-ending match. Or well, it's not quite the end of a feud yet, but the execution was just kind of lacking a little bit, and you wonder whether they should have put the um, the women in this spot when they kind of clearly weren't ready for it just yet. Like, some of Laura's moves looked great, and then others just, like didn't even connect at all, so it was kind of a mixed bag in this match, really.
3: Yeah, it definitely didn't go uh, according to plan. I I still don't know what the finish was. Well,
1: Ginny was attempting her finisher, but uh, Laura blocked it, and then they just sort of stared at each other (laughs) for a really long time, and then Laura just kind of awkwardly rolled into the finish, the pin.
3: Well, Ginny was just kind of lying on the floor, just kind of lying on the mat looking up at at Laura on on the ring post and just going like, you're supposed to move now. And it just it didn't happen, did it?
1: Yeah, it did not happen, no. But after this match, uh, Ginny beat up Laura, and Laura demanded another match. So perhaps a no DQ match in the future. That's maybe a better environment for these two, uh, where they can have a better match.
3: Yeah, get get them smoke and mirrors back in there. Yeah, it's just too bad for them because um, I I like both of them as work. I mean, Ginny is a heat machine, and and Laura has an awful lot of sympathy. And
2: uh, how was the crowd for this one?
3: It, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be, but it was pretty much the last match that didn't have the heat because like, literally everything after that had a, had a ton of heat. But then we had the um, that smash open challenge match with Johnny Gargano defending his belt uh, against a mystery opponent. And when he came out, the reaction uh, that Mark Haskins got uh, it was tremendous. I think it justified their selection immediately as soon as he walked through the curtain. It's like, yes, Haskins, this is going to be great. And how
2: how did we forget about Haskins when we were previewing this? We were like, it could be Gallagher. We, we kind of skipped over Houston. him because
3: we started off with like guys that were lower on the the pole than him, and then we went up to the very top, and we kind of skipped the you know the most obvious one.
2: Yeah, yeah looking back it seems kind of obvious but none of us predicted it. Um but it was 100% the right choice. Um cuz Haskins needed the big win in progress and uh, this was it without needing him needing him to win the yeah. a, the tournament or Absolutely. the championship. Winning a different championship.
1: Yeah, it was great to see Haskins get a big moment in progress finally after so long and the crowd were very receptive to him, yeah.
3: Certainly the crowd reaction was <laughs> Was amazing.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Like this match really heated up the show. Um, like two of the best wrestlers in the world, I would say actually. Um, like two guys who've just been wrestling for so long and just know like every little trick. Um and they mesh really, really well, as you would expect. Yeah, I actually don't remember too much of like the technical aspect of this match because I was like more focused on just the massive reaction it was getting live. Like I'll have to watch it back to like truly appreciate the match. But there was a bit where uh, Gargano went for his like uh flying shoulder tackle, and he'd hit it earlier, but towards the end of the match he went for it again and he missed, and Haskins reversed it into his armbar for the finish. And that was just such an amazing, satisfying ending to the match, and it really worked so well. The crowd reaction for it was fantastic.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, the the reaction for the win was incredible as well. It's like everyone shot up onto their feet, and like he dived into the crowd. And everyone was standing up, giving him the, and they they were still chanting as well. Like they were still chanting all the way through the the, the whole. Uh, you know, hand over bit with the handshake and the, the storyline stuff afterwards. It was it was all like really intense chanting. It was very loud. Um, I enjoyed this immensely. I, the the real highlight of the of the day. I love that Haskins got the big one as well. He's way overdue.
2: We were we were saying that um, we didn't think that Smash would want to change the belt because they had a few shows in between this show and the the joint shows, but then. Haskins mm. went and got himself booked over in PWG, so he's going to be over in North America. So uh, it's, all,
1: it's all coming together for it, it all
2: fits together now.
1: Yeah, it's great to see Haskins getting booked in North America and getting a real international spotlight.
2: Long overview.
1: So we move on to the Atlas tournament portion of the show, and two people had yeah. to be replaced. Um, Big Damo uh, had stitches put in the back of his head after his OTT match the day before. So he was replaced by Trent Seven here, but Rampage Brown automatically got the points because Trent Seven doesn't count as an Atlas Tournament guy, apparently. (laughs)
2: Because Trent Seven missed weight. Came in at under 205. Well, he weighed in as
1: Hench. (laughs) He did. That was a fun match. That was a really fun match. (laughs) But uh, he was in the second Atlas Tournament match, so we should probably talk about the first where Zach Gibson replaced Dave Mastiff and got absolutely nuclear heat.
3: The whole um, introduction thing with, with Gibson is is some of the most intense heat uh, I've heard in a long, long time. Uh, he tried to do his introduction thing, the, the, the one that he did all the way through the uh, Super Strong Style tournament, and it just got booed down.
1: Oh, yeah, it was one of the loudest crowd reactions I've ever heard in progress.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's got the microphone, and we had just... We just drowned him
1: out with abuse. I naturally, I'm abusing him. I mean, yeah, like everyone was on him immediately. It was so just, loud.
3: Yeah, I just immediately. Yeah, but uh, as soon as he tried to launch into that whole Liverpool's number, one it was just a, a, a just this noise of this this wall of sound that just drowned him out. Wonderful hate.
1: Yeah. So as for the match itself, um, you know, it was there. All the guys looked all right, but nothing too special. I thought uh, Rees especially looked better than perhaps people were expecting. Um, Volta, once again, looked really good. One of the best big men in Europe right now. Um, And the ending came... Zach Gibson... um cheating to score Dave Mastiff his first points of the tournament.
3: Shenanigans.
1: So now we expect there's one more match left in the block, which would be uh, Rees versus Mastiff, where if Mastiff wins, he's through. And if Rees wins, there'd be some sort of tiebreaker between him and Volta, but they haven't announced any sort of tiebreakers, and these group stages just haven't landed at all. There's no way we can like break the blocks down or get excited about that. They really haven't booked it like that in any way and I just want the semifinals to begin now because these group stages have kind of been a flop.
3: <sighs> yeah, the tournament's kinda bit weird, has not it?
2: Bring on Let's the semi finals. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've shown they can't do um they can't do blocks, but should, the strong style has shown they can do a uh, regular knockout tournament, so so bring that portion up.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, If we try and break down who we think is going to be in the semi-final in Group A, um, T-Bone's already through, and one of the other three guys is going to get through, based on the scenario we discussed just now. In Group B, um, Joe Kofi, I believe, is already through, or him versus Dante, (sighs) which is the final match in the group, Um, will decide who goes through with Rampage Brown. I'm not entirely sure on that one, but I reckon it will be Kofi and Brown. Going through there along with T Bone and probably Mastiff in Group A. That seems like a decent enough semi-finals.
3: I I can see the final as uh, being uh, Coffee and and Brand seeing as that went to a, a like a notice like a draw in in the block. I th- and I think it'd be a really good match because the 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 block match was like easily the best match in the tournament.
2: I still think Mastiff's getting to the final. I
3: I can't see it. To be honest, at this point, well,
1: uh, I think uh, Mastiff is gonna be in an Origin four and four match at Brixton, Then I reckon that's what they're gonna go with. Maybe an Origin disbands if they lose match.
2: Uh, I guess that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So yeah, the second Atlas match on this show, uh, which actually wasn't for tournament points because Rampage Brown already got them by forfeit. But yeah, Brown defeated uh, Trent Seven. In what was a pretty fun match, it was a short sprint, uh, lots of big power moves, and Brown defeated Seven because he's in the tournament, and Seven is not, you know, you got to push the tournament guy after all.
3: That makes sense. The um the, the one spot that, uh, that terrified me was there was a girl walking to the bar, and she had absolutely no idea, she wasn't even looking at the ring, and she walked behind Rampage Brown in the middle of Trent Seven's dive, and it could have come very, very badly. Rampage, to his credit, just stopped Trent's dive. He just smacked him out of the air and just stopped it. Uh, I am absolutely convinced that was supposed to be a dive and
1: that he just stopped it, which is wonderful. Yeah, he was furious with that girl afterwards as well. Yeah,
3: like, what are you doing? And, and really, legitimately, what are you doing? If you're get if going to walk past a wrestling ring while there's a match going on, then pay attention to the match, for God's
1: sake. So after that, we got to the main event of the evening, as the Super Strong Style 16 winner, Tommy End, uh, got his shot at the Progress Championship against Marty Scurll. Um This is their third match between the two this year. And what do we think? Did it deliver? Um, was it up to snuff as the Super Strong Style challenge match
3: it was solid it it was very strong i personally match of the night i think for me it was haskins and gargano but like basically everything from that point onwards worked um
1: i felt like this suffered because we knew that there was going to be shenanigans involved
3: yeah i i did say that like before we we were in it was like we know tommy n's not winning because he's not staying around so something is going to happen, what's going to happen.
1: I feel like a lot of the silly stuff that happened, like Marty Skull just cheating at every opportunity towards the end to win lots of false finishes, that was to set up what was to happen immediately after the match. Yeah. So yeah, having to set up for the cash-in did affect this actual match somewhat.
3: Yeah, it was a decent match, but it, it wasn't as good as... um we, we were kind of hoping this would be the, the blow-away match after they'd had two kind of half goes at it.
1: And yeah, I was kind of awesome. hoping for this one to be the big 20-minute blow-off match, but the shenanigans pulled it down, unfortunately.
3: Well, if they'd gone 20 minutes, I would have missed my train,
1: so... Ah, uh... Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, Arn had to leave before Eva's big moment.
3: I had to, because if I hadn't have done, I would have been stuck in London overnight. So I literally left after the, after the pinfall.
1: Yeah, so after the match, uh, Tony and... Uh, furious that Skull had cheated so much, uh, decided to kick him in the face, putting him down, <laughs> and out came Pastor William Eva with um, title shot in hand, having won the Natural Progression series, yeah. and proceeded to clothesline from Heaven Skull and win the Progress Championship.
3: I, I would rather they'd book that as a match rather than a, uh, a money in the bank
1: deal.
2: When did it become Money in the Bank? Because it wasn't previously.
1: Um Wasn't the Mark Andrews cash-in uh, Money in the Bank?
2: No. No. They, that was an agreed-upon match. It was after one of Andrews's matches. Rampage came out and challenged him, and then they, they got it. It wasn't like a one-guy-was-down thing. And then the Flash Morgan-Webster thing wasn't like that. It was a I-will-face-you-in-a-match. And then suddenly it's, it's money in the bank, and money in the bank is awful, so...
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I have misremembered the Andrews thing clearly, but yeah, now that you say it, yeah, Brown challenged Andrews in that case. Because
2: it was actually the champion coming out and challenging the the uh, Natural Progression Series winner uh, in that case, after they both previously wrestled that night, and... Um, here it was it's the face coming out and taking advantage of the heel um as he was already out because that's how you want to get over your righteous new beloved champion by yeah, taking advantage cheap. cheaply of something
1: yeah well jesus uh, sneak attacks people <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh my yeah
2: I haven't seen it yet, so I want to see it play out before I, I you know get full comments. But, but it just sounds really. I I hate the money in bank money in the bank gimmick in general, especially when it's on a face, because when you've got this good guy coming up, it's his first title win, and you cheapen it so much, and you can never have the first title win a second time. It's never going to be quite be the same, and they've just. They've just cheapened it. Um...
1: Well, I thought um, it was a good moment live. Like, the crowd went crazy. Like, Eva had, like, a crowd-surfing spot in his celebration. Like, it felt like a big moment. Like, everyone was happy to see it happen. Um, but I do agree that it would have been more impactful had it happened in a match and Eva had actually toppled Skirl one-on-one cleanly. No bullshit. I do agree that... um this does cheapen it somewhat but it was still a great moment live
2: well money in the bank money in the bank matches like cash ins always do get a big reaction in the moment but in the long run if you look at like the the title runs of the guys who've had these sneaky title wins like in in general it's it's so much better to have them go over in a match and I, I hate this seeping into other promotions, because it's bad enough when it's just in WWE, but in WWE, you kind of expect that kind of bullshit. But, um. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Um. And they
1: have announced that, uh, Eva will be defending the championship against Skull at the next chapter.
2: But is Skull gonna win the title back?
1: It kind of looks like it. Like, you wouldn't want Skull uh, jobbing out so soon.
2: See, that's. <laughs> that's like. What. what... If you're gonna do that, you know, flip, flip the belt around. Why, why do? Just why do that? You know the, you want the big moment to be the first time.
1: Um, they've also been having Eva give up a lot of pinfalls recently, uh, which is what WWE typically do with Money in the Bank guys. He lost to Mikey Whipple last week before, and he lost to the Dazzler team at Super Strong Style. He was the one who got pinned.
2: See, I don't. I, I hate the idea of, especially with. WWE does it all the time with Money in the Bank. The way they set up a guy to win is by giving him a load of losses. Like maybe give him one or two that that build up him like challenges, but like he lost to I think it was Daryl Allen. It might have been Earl Black Jr. Yeah,
1: Earl Black Jr. now has a claim to the Progress Championship.
2: When like Chuck Mambo was right there, right there. it's it's not for me <laughs> um, to, to bring back my catchphrase from this episode um yes it got a great reaction I'll, I'll want to evaluate one when I've actually seen it because so far I'm just going off um, word of mouth and you know maybe the moment was that magic that it justified it um, but in general, you get good moment cash-ins, and then after that it kind of ebbs off, the title right? The title reign kind of ebbs off. Um, but also, number two, I want to see it in the long run. Um, you know, six months from now, where is Eva? Did this help him, or did this just get in the way? Um, but I do feel like it, it's it's going to be something that, that got in the way, uh, and it would have just been better to have him win in a regular match, because... They're getting to the point where they feel they have to protect people and it's getting to the point where you're protecting people so much that they're not going like the new guys they're trying to put over aren't actually going over. Um, Tommy N's not putting over Skrull on his way out and then Skrull isn't putting over either. Um, Yeah, it
1: does seem odd that Tommy N couldn't at least lose clean to Skrull here.
2: Yeah.
3: This is the problem with having too many uh well I don't say too many but more shows to book around it's like you you have to get creative so it's just just one of the uh, issues you get from success
2: yeah but uh, overall good show sounds like it was
3: I enjoyed it yeah I love the ballroom definitely the um I remember saying on one of the earlier shows it's like what why don't they book somewhere bigger having actually been. To a show in the Electric Ballroom, I completely understand why they keep booking it there. That it's a fantastic venue; it's absolutely perfect for them. Um, that they must have thought long and hard about Brixton uh, as another venue, and uh, I, I can see why they want to do it that way. It's the
1: venue adds so much to the to the promotion. Yeah, it's certainly got a lot more character than a bigger building may have. Yeah,
2: they ended up doing more shows rather than moving up size wise. And
1: yeah, makes sense
2: because like, and, and you at this point, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to move up, uh, size wise because the sellouts are getting slower and slower. Um, like they are still selling out. So it's not like, uh, their business is really suffering or anything, but, uh, um, at this point, if they did move up in size, you wonder, would they sell out? Cause if you're looking at the Brixton show, which isn't like, it's not. It's not like the the Hydro or anything. I think it's 1,800, uh, which is a sizable show, of course, but um, the ballroom's more like 700. So it, it's a, it's an upgrade. Um,
3: it, it's a sensible upgrade.
2: Capacity-wise, but not a huge, huge upgrade. Yeah, but the Brixton show, I, I still don't think it's sold out, and it's been on sale for quite a long time at this point. Um, so you, you'd think if they, if all these shows, instead of being 700 seaters, if, even if they were like only a thousand seaters, would they start getting to the point where they're not selling out? And it, it's better to, to keep people wanting more, um, yeah, that's fair. I guess.
1: I, I enjoyed it anyway. It's a great venue. Yeah. I really enjoyed myself. Uh, I always do in the electric ballroom.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Positive experience from both of you then. Um, we we've gone a long time, although it will edit down a lot because <laughs> Wales winning did distract us quite a lot and uh, um, but yeah, outro I guess. Um, and by outro I mean plugs because I said the wrong word there. Ollie,
1: uh, on voicesofwrestling.com, I've written a chapter thirty-one review and chapter thirty-two coming soon. Uh, you can follow me at another Ollie on Twitter. And also read my regular European Notes section on F4W. Uh,
2: You can find me at V-R-double, T-H-E-R-D-O-U-B-L-E. I write stuff on Voice of Wrestling. Uh, I will have a review up of Summer Sizzler in when that happens. Um, And also check out the Mid-Year Match of the Year project. uh, Sorry, Mid-Point Match of the Year project. Help if I could say my own project's name. over on the Voice of Wrestling forums, if that sort of thing interests you.
3: Arm. Um I have actually started doing uh, a few reviews again over on 411 Mania. Uh, so feel free to head over there, look on the uh, video review section. There is some European stuff in there, there's some Japanese stuff. Um, so there you go, there's a plug. First one in like six weeks, I think.
2: Euro Fury,
3: Pure pu- Fury, and Euro Fury.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um... And with that, thanks for listening everyone. Good night.
1: Goodbye. Good evening.